On them has light shone. The words of Isaiah 9 and 2. On them has light shone. These are great words of grace and mercy and comfort to the people of God. On them has light shone. Chapter 7, verse 10. Um, in the midst of um, walking with the Lord, Bonds, I think your mic was on. I'm not sure. I just heard chapter 7, verse 10. It threw me off for a second. Um, anyway, I don't know if anybody else heard that. I was like, is the Lord? Is that you? Right? You want me to go to chapter 7, verse 10 already? Um, but listen, as on them has light shone, it was back during my um, senior year or so of college living there in Lexington at the University of Kentucky that God began to shine light into my life when I desperately needed it. It was one day as I was getting off of New Circle Road, off onto Tate's Creek where I lived, and I listened to a radio station, 104.5 The Cat. Um, it wasn't a Christian radio station. This is what surprised me in the midst of God changing my life, is that the number one song of the day was, I Can Only Imagine. And as I heard those words, my immediately thought is, I'm on the wrong station. What just happened? And man, it just began to grip my heart. And for day after day, literally for months, I don't know if you remember that, it was literally a phenomenon that all of these secular radio stations, I can only imagine, was the number one song continually being played. And God was just shining light in my life. God shined my light in my life as I exited my car right there behind Memorial Coliseum and made my way toward the Avenue of Champions and uh, toward P.O.T., Patterson Office Tower. As I got ready to cross over the threshold of Avenue of Champions right in front of Memorial, there were some gentlemen standing on the sidewalk, see, who handed me a small New Testament. They were Gideons. And God would use that in my life between every class. I would run and desperately begin to open that word up and read it. And not only begin to read it there, I began to find myself in my apartment, as I've told you many times, literally on my knees and my face, reading this word as it was just alive. And God was just shining amazing light into my life. And I experienced God's mercy and grace and can testify to the truth. On them has light shone. And so the question to you today is this, has God's light shined on you? Pick up with me, Wood, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10 now. Bond's voice. We're ready to roll. First and foremost, it's imperative that we recognize the light. Recognize the light. Listen to this. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ahaz is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Literally, I will move heaven and earth to answer and show you. But Ahaz says, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. It sounds very good to say that, but he's just being pious. He doesn't really mean it. He's fearful of what God may do. He's fearful that if he asks God to do something, that means he may have to break alliance with things of the world. And so listen to what happens. And he said, God is responding here. Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Because as Isaiah speaks to Ahaz, he recognizes that that the house of David, although it's called to rule and reign, has yet to provide a perfect king. But there's one coming. Listen to what he says. Therefore, therefore, since man, humanity, even God's own people could not do it, therefore, the Lord himself 
will give you a sign. And you'd say, well, what is that sign? He says, well, behold, the virgin shall conceive and she will have a son and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the beauty of the cross is it's not simply just going to be God with us by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, paying for our sins and His ascension back to the Father, you can now have God within you. God in us. He says, listen, I want you to know this sign is coming. The question comes, well, is the sign for the present day, that day and time of those people, or is it something yet future? Yes, is the answer. There's presentness to it. Listen to these words here further with me. Pick up with me verse 16 of Isaiah 7. For, he says, about this child, he says, Before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So there's something present on going on in that day and time. Look what happens further, verse 17, about this child Emmanuel coming. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people. So notice there, it's you and your people. There's presentness again. And upon your father's house, such days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah the king of Assyria. So there's presentness, but there's also a futureness to it. When you come to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, you're going to hear these words. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. There's something yet coming future. And so it is that The gospel writer Matthew will open up in his opening chapter, Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And literally, he will cite these words and say, these words have now come to fulfillment in the birth of God's only son, Jesus. So there's a presentness of what's happening. Again, we don't get clarity on what it means that there's going to be some child named Emmanuel or exactly how that plays out in his day and time. But we know the future is coming But what I want to also show you is is how the present day and time there, during the days of Judah, again, we're roughly, again, the ballpark of 700 B.C., some 700 years before Christ will come. See how the present conditions will impact the future coming. Look at this, verse 15. It says that when this king comes, this Emmanuel, God with us, he will eat curds and honey. Curds and honey was food of the poor, and if you remember, Jesus Christ himself was extremely poor. When his time came for his family to provide the offering after his birth, his family could only offer two pigeons, which was the smallest, literally the least offering basically you could do because of the great poverty that Jesus Christ himself was born in. But not only that, notice this. Look what it says here at the end of this, verse 17. That there's one coming to the land. He is the king of Assyria. Jesus will come as the king of the Jews, but it will be a powerless throne And he will feel the full weight of the oppressor. Now, the Assyrians will no longer be there, right? But if you know a little bit of your biblical timeline, if you just basically know your ABCs, you can keep the biblical timeline in order of how it works. Assyria starts with the letter what? A. Come on, this is call and response when I do that. Babylonians or the Babylon, right? The kingdom of Babylon starts with what letter? B. So you're getting it? A and B. Here's the one jump, right? The Persians starts with what letter? P, right? Persians, P, 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 I think I heard that, right? And then comes the Greek, right? The Greek Empire. So you're like, man, that doesn't make sense. It should be A, B, G, but it's not. That's the only thing you've got to remember, right? Again, you're thinking about biblical timelines. So the Assyrians, Babylonians, 
the Persians, then follows the Greeks. The Persians are the only one out of order. Why? Because it ends up, who's in power when Jesus comes? Rome. And Rome starts with a what? R. So it's A-B-P-G-R. That's kind of your biblical timeline. If you just want to, it's an easy way for me to remember. Who's when? Who came when? The reminder is this. Is that the people in this day and time, as they've rebelled and rejected against the Lord, that present condition will have a future impact on the time when Jesus comes. But we might ask the question is, is why is God doing such an extravagant sign? Why this need of Emmanuel anyway? Well, the answer, I think, comes from probably the most familiar and most well-known verse in all of Scripture. And you would say that probably is what? John 3.16, right? Look at it. For God, come on, read it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. I don't know about you, it's hard not to read that in King James, isn't it? Right? I'm, I'm always thanking King James on that verse. Notice this, though. Why would God send His Son? Why this need of Emmanuel? Look what He says. Well, you want to know why God sent His Son? Why He's doing this? Because God loves the world. Unfortunately, the world is in a really bad shape. Why? Because the world and all the people in it are going to perish. And that's you, beloved. Unless you repent and believe upon God's only Son, you will perish in your sin And that is an eternal perishing. But for those who what? They must do what? Believe in who? In Him, in the Son, in Emmanuel. You will experience eternal what? Life. And this is all rooted in God's love and the fact that He sent His Son. That's why the light had to come. So the reminder is, first and foremost, recognize the light. Ultimately, Emmanuel is Jesus Christ. That's what Matthew 1, 22 and 23 tells us. So recognize the light. Recognize it. But here's the danger if you don't recognize the light. Right? Here's the result of rejecting the light or not recognizing it. Here's what happens to the people of that day and time because they don't recognize and respond to the light. In that day, you'll see that in your text there. If you'll notice verse 18... Um, You're going to see it again, uh, verse 20, verse 21. You'll hear it again there in verse 23. There's a repetition of saying, here's the response to rejecting Emmanuel. Here's the response to rejecting God in that day, in that day, in that day, in that day. Listen to what he says. Here's what's coming to these people. In that day, the Lord will whistle. For the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria, God commands the nations... If you've ever wondered who's in charge, God commands the nations despite whatever summit may happen. However many world leaders are there, God commands the nations. Rest in that, beloved. And they will all come. Look what happens here. It's the first thing. This, this strike's going to happen to the land, right? That's going to happen here. And they will all come. So again, let's, let's highlight some of this. They will all come and settle in the steep ravines and the clefts of the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and all the pastures. There's going to come a people that are going to occupy the land that God's people are supposed to have. In that day, further with me, verse 23, every place where there used to be a thousand vines with a thousand shekels of silver or worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. 
the people are experiencing God's judgment. The land is occupied and the land is decaying for rejecting the light. So don't think that you can move today and close off yourself to God's word as if there's no consequence. God is warning us. Why? Because he's judging even his own people. Further with me, look what else happens here. Again, you see that refrain of in that day there and in that day. So these are kind of reminders of judgment. Something else we're going to see, the people are going to be stripped and shamed. Look what it says. In that day, the Lord will, this is hard, the Lord will do something. He's going to shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river. You'd say, well, who is God using to shave the people? Who is it? Who is it? The king of Assyria. Literally, that's the... That's the, look what it says. He's going to shave the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. My assumption is, Tommy, if I came in and you shaved my head, most people wouldn't notice. But there's some other brothers around here got some sweet flowing locks. And if you shave them, I'm assuming people would notice, right? Now listen, here it is. This is what would happen. In that day and time, listen, to have your head shaved was a sign of mourning, but also a sign of shame. These people are going to be shaved. They're going to be shamed. They're going to receive the heavenly haircut that you and I do not want. Further, look what else happens. Verse 21, there's also going to be such great loss, listen to this, of property but also of people. In that day a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds, for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. The indication likely is, is there's so few people to feed that you don't need much livestock. Everybody's gone. Either they've been killed or they've been now deported to to the Syrians. This is serious judgment. And so guess what happens now? Another sign shows up. Another sign shows up here in verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 8. And listen to what it says. And I went to the prophetess and she conceived and bore a son. Would you just pause and pray with me just for a moment? Father, there are those I know in the midst here who desire to have children. And for whatever reason, God, that is yet to take place. For some, Lord, that day may have come and passed. And Lord, I pray that they had not missed the admonition of 1 Corinthians 4 and 15 of the Apostle Paul who himself had no biological children yet was the father to many, many spiritually through the gospel. So I urge our people to be faithful. For those, God, who are still here today awaiting results or what's come, I pray, God, that as we read these words, that you would do what only you can do, to open the womb, Father. As your word says, unless the Lord builds a house, its labor is labor in vain. And so we recognize, God, that you hold ultimate power and authority. So, Father, I, be- I beg you for mercy and grace for these people, for their family, for their children, for their nieces and nephews, for cousins, for friends, for those they know and care about. And then lastly, Lord, I pray right now for the many children across this world and in this state and maybe even in the midst of this community who desire for a mom and dad to come with adoption, to show up and foster. I pray, O oh God, that you would move our hearts in that direction as well. For we ourselves are the most adopted people on the face of the earth. You have adopted us as your children. So, Father, I pray now that you would unify the hearts 
of husbands and wives on that and that you also would be with the orphans. But today there's a reminder there's no man coming for them. Father, you said that you are a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows as God in his holy dwelling. So, Lord, let your power reign and be near to them and comfort them. But by all means, move our hearts. I love you, Father. I thank you for how you're going to accomplish this in accordance with your will. May your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Christ the King, I pray. Amen. Sorry, it's a little aside, but um, so anyway, uh, he went to the prophetess, verse three of Isaiah eight, and she conceived and bore a son. The Lord said to me, "Call his name Meir Shalal Hashbaz." Let's be honest; if that's a name we heard in the airport, we would probably think that's a person that's going to get at least taken to the side and talked to. So be careful sometimes when we have our. Our thoughts, our sinful attitudes. Many times we're talking about the very people from which Christ himself came. And those for whom God died and dearly loves. The name is difficult to translate, but it means something likely speed, spoil, haste, booty. The indication is that the Assyrians are coming fast and they're going to ravage the land. This child has that very name. You thought your name was bad, right? That's his. Listen to what happens. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father and my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again. So the northern, northern tribe of Israel, the tribes of Israel there, are going to come against the northern tribes. Listen, because this, verse 6, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh. Listen, you say, why is God doing this? Because the people have refused the light, the waters of Shiloh likely indicate something where as if uh, Jerusalem had no water source of itself. And so it always depended upon water being brought in. And yet now they're depending, they're refusing the very grace that God has given them. They're rejecting the light. So be careful when you begin to push God and His Word and the grace and the mercy of God away from your life. He may very well shut the water off on you. But it continues there and you can kind of see the map this is from again the esv study bible i encourage it i don't know if you have a study bible or not i encourage you these are great very helpful help me a lot um but if you notice here we see the assyrian empire they are beginning to rain down they've already taken these cities and they're coming here toward israel toward samaria and if you look further with me verse 8 says and it will sweep on into judah right there's a coming toward the people of Judah, ultimately it will be toward the Babylonians who will bring this about. But he's saying, I want you to know the judgment of God is flowing like a mighty river sweeping in. So what are the people of God to do? It's a good question, isn't it? Like, what are we to do, God, in light of this? And I think God's going to say this. Separate yourselves from the dark. Separate yourselves from the darkness, Isaiah 8, verses 9 through 22. Let's pull some things from it. Listen to how he calls his own people to repentance and faith. Notice first, there's a contrast between the light and the dark. 
between the people of God and the people of the world. And what's interesting about it is, is this is amongst even the people of Judah, the people of God. Even amongst the people of God, there are many that are actually not God's people. Even in the church today, there are many who are actually not God's people. Do you see that? Just because there's church membership or church attendance, you must personally know, repent, and believe on the name of Jesus Christ. There's salvation in no one else. There's salvation not in that church pew or because grandma or grandpa came here. There's salvation only in the name of Jesus, even for the people who come to church. Verse 11 says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me. Look what he happens here. The people of God are called not to walk in the way of this people. Look what he says further to them. He says, listen, they, they've got a way that they walk that I don't want you to do. Further, listen what it happens. Do not call conspiracy all this people calls conspiracy. He says, listen, the way they talk, they distort things further. Do not fear what they fear. That's the things of the world. Listen, nor be in dread. But look what happens to people of God. Again, they're called not to walk in that way. Further, look with me, verse 13. But the Lord of hosts, him shall you honor as what? It's holy. It says, listen, you want to know if you honor the Lord as holy? It's by the way that you walk. Literally, that indicates the lifestyle of the person. Let him, let the Lord of hosts be your what? Be your fear. If you're going to fear someone, I want you to know who to fear. Fear God. Now listen, dad, spiritual fathers here today, what if you just took this as a, an example or a path for you and your family to follow? To not walk in the ways of the world. To not distort the truth. To not fear the things that the people of the world fear, but to fear God, to live a holy, godly life. How does anyone do this? By the power of the Holy Spirit, by the truth of God's Word, by the church walking beside one another. Notice this is interesting too, verse 16. Notice the contrast between who God is to the people of God and who God is to the people of the world. Verse 14 of Isaiah 8. And He will become, listen, speaking of God here, and he will become a sanctuary to the people of God. But look who he is to the people of the world. And a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. A trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The same God is a sanctuary to his people and a snare to the people of the world. Notice the contrast by the way of faith, again, separating yourself from the darkness. Listen to what he says here. Further, verse 16, he says, Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my who? Among my disciples. He says, listen, the people of faith, the word of God is our truth. We must hold fast to God's word. We cannot veer to the left or the right. We must remain faithful to God's word. What he says to them, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will what? Hope in him. I will hope in him. Now listen, here's a reminder. Here's what's tough about this, waiting for the Lord and hoping in him. Look what God's doing. God's hiding his face. Faith is made for the darkest of days. Our faith, guys, listen, it is for the darkest of days, times when it feels like, I, I don't know if you'd be honest or not, but I'm assuming most of you have had moments where you felt like, God, you're hiding your face. 
Right? We talked about it last week. There's times when we play quiet as a mouse, but there are times when it feels like God's playing quiet as a mouse. Right? And listen, if you think, well, I, I don't know if I should even think like that. Read some of the Psalms. How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? Are you going to forget me forever, God? Where are you, God? Where are you? So if you've ever felt that way, listen, many of the people of God have experienced that. And beloved, that's why it takes faith. We must hope and wait for the Lord even when He hides His face. But notice the, pa- the people of God, this is the way in which they live. But watch the contrast with the people of the world. Verse 19. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers. This is a communication with the dead who chirp and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Further, look what it says. To the teaching and what? To the what? Testimony. He's calling the people in darkness back to his word. Why? Because that's the same way that his people are supposed to live. The teaching and the testimony. He's calling the people, people who are rejecting him to the teaching and to the testimony, back to God's word. Are you wondering what will change that friend? What will change that person? It is indeed a work of the Holy Spirit. But, beloved, he's going to use his word. That's why it's so empowerful. That's why I encourage so much with the Gideons and others. We give God's word. God's word is so powerful. Grandfathers, today, if your family comes and gathers with you, share the word of God with them. Many of you have such great authority. You're revered in your family. Share God's word with them. He may call back those wayward grandchildren or nieces or nephews or sons or daughters. And for some of you sons and daughters, it may be the very opposite. You may need to share the word of God with dad. Be faithful. Where does this lead when we reject the Lord, when we walk in darkness? Listen to what happens to the people. Verse 21. They will pass through the land greatly distressed. They feel helpless and they're stressed. Further, watch what happens. He says they're hungry. And when they are hungry, this is interesting. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged. They're hangry, right? You ever been there? I don't know. It just says it, right? They are hungry, they'll be enraged, but watch who they're, they're enraged at. They're going to speak contemptuously, look what it says, against ultimately their God. So there's a, there's a helplessness, but there's also an anger toward God. And look what it says, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. Not only are they helpless and hangry, they are hopeless as well. And they look to the earth, man, they're looking for everywhere for an answer other than God, and it won't come. And the question might become, what about you in the areas of your life that you need to separate from the darkness? What relationships aren't on in the Lord that you need to separate from? Maybe it's a hobby or a sinful lifestyle, or maybe it's just something that's good, but it's just... It's taking away the time, men, you need with your family, your children need with you. Guys, I compel you, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6 and 14, what fellowship has light with the darkness? Come out, he says in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 6, be separate, my people. Beloved, separate yourselves from the darkness. Dads, would you lead the way today? 
Would you lead your family? Would you show your family what it looks like to humble yourself before the living God? Would you kneel yourself, your life, and honor the Lord? You'd say, Blake, what would compel anyone to live like this? One word, grace. Grace. This isn't because you have to. This isn't because I need to be a better dad in ten steps. This is responding to God's grace that was poured out through His Son for you and your sin. Recognize your own darkness and need of grace. Pick up with me, Wood, verse 2 of Isaiah 9. The people, man, listen to this, this is unbelievable. The people who walked what? In darkness have seen what? A great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep what? Deep darkness. Feel it? Some of you are there. That's your land. Today you're all smiles. It's cupcakes and unicorns and rainbows. But on the inside, man, it's, it's not that at all. There's a deep darkness. Some of you are walking in darkness now. Say, Blake, I'm at church. Good. I was at church too. I show up at church hungover. God knows where you've been, what you've done, and here's the great news of it. His grace is shining even unto you. Look, he says, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has what? Light shone on them, on the scoundrels like me. This is what will change a man or a woman, boy or girl. It's not do this, do that, be better, do this, don't listen to this music, don't watch this or that. Come, return to the grace of of God and see that there is one who loves you in the midst of deep darkness. Wow. Unbelievable. You'd say, Blake, that is unbelievable news. How do I respond? I'm going to let Jesus answer that for you. In doing that, I want to read to you verse 1 of Isaiah 9 again, just a couple words of it so you hear it. He says that the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Listen to Jesus answer how you and I respond to his grace. Matthew 4 and 13. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. That sounds familiar. So that. Why is Jesus doing this? Matthew says in Matthew 4 and 14, so that what was spoken by the prophet who? Isaiah, there he is again. This is why it's called the fifth gospel. You're going to see it everywhere in the New Testament. By the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee, the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Oh God, if you would do that in this community, my family, oh God. For those dwelling in the region, the shadow of death on them has light dawned. And notice what Jesus does in response. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, we are to do what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is hand. Repent of your way of life. Realize that I love you in the midst of darkness, but I have not created you to live and walk in the darkness. That is not of my people. Come out and be separate from them. 
come and experience my love for you that you might not perish but have eternal life. Believe on the Son today, beloved. Believe on His name. Receive forgiveness of all your sin and shame. Be brought out of darkness and brought into the light. It is a great mercy and grace of God. And Jesus says, repent and believe on me. Would you do it? Will you do it? Beloved, if you reject Jesus Christ, I want you to know there is eternal darkness and eternal punishment that is to come. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Believe on the name of Christ. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the name of Jesus. I pray you would move by the power of your spirit that there is good news God, thank you that on them has light shone. Father, I pray right now. God, I want to pray practically for a moment just for the fathers here. Um, Lord, I pray right now that you would empower us as fathers, again, whether that's biological or spiritual, that we would, we would first receive much of your grace, but then, God, that we would be men who show much grace. Show much grace to our wives, to our children friends, fellow church members. I just pray right now that the grace of God would do an abundant work beyond anything I can even ask or even imagine in this moment. Father, I pray right now for anyone who is living in darkness. God, I pray today that you would speak by the power of your Spirit, Lord, and let them know that you love them in the midst of the darkness and that you have caused your light to shine today. And the, ne- the rescue is by the name of Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ. Father, may they see that life preserver being thrown to them in the midst of the deep darkness and the waters overtaking them. And Father, may they just simply repent and believe on the name of Christ, putting their faith in you. I pray for it, for the glory of your Son, Jesus, who is coming soon. In his name I pray, amen. Amen, amen. We invite you to stand and sing. If you would love to talk, pray. Brother Todd and I will be up here. Others will come. You're welcome to come. You don't have to share anything with us if you don't want. But I want to encourage you. Listen, I'm not so naive to believe that there are not many here who may be living in some sort of darkness. You have darkness in areas of your life. We all do. Would you repent right now? Saying, God, forgive me, but God, change me. Change my heart. Change my desires for those things, toward those people. Do you know the grace of God personally? Would you respond today?